0: Happy birthday, Nico! Happy
1: birthday,
0: yeah! Yeah. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, niggas, and welcome to another episode of Intimate Revelations with the Deba Negro. I am your host, Nico Lamar, aka Hershey Hawkins, aka Nico Bloomju. B.K.A. Mr. bangy Bitch Raw Dog And I know I'm a little late My birthday was last Sunday But I'm black You know we celebrate our birthdays for a whole month straight I'm just gonna celebrate today Cause I wanna celebrate it with y'all And I didn't get a chance to do that last week Cause I was caught up with the birthday festivities I was out with coworkers, Having drinks, eating good food So we gonna get it in today I got a good show for y'all You're gonna enjoy it I'm gonna enjoy giving it to you so, without further ado, let's get into another episode of Intimate Revelations with the Deborah Negro. So, ladies and gentlemen, we got a special guest on today. Um, this, this man, I've known him actually since we were like 11, 12 i'm a little older than him so he was uh maybe like maybe a 10 or 11 i was maybe 12 13 something like that but i've known this guy for a long time we grew up together he's always been a stand-up guy everybody loved him you know what i'm saying he's always had that wise beyond his years uh persona about him so it's an honor and a pleasure for me to have him on the podcast today he uh took time out of his busy day out his busy schedule to to vibe with your boy so without further ado i want to introduce my first real guest on the podcast no offense to everybody else that came before him but this is like this man is doing big things man he got a, he got a bright future and it's my it's my pleasure to introduce mr oscar berry the third yo what's good Hey man, I, I I really I really uh want to thank you for for coming on man. It's it's good to to sit back and talk to you man. Um, when my sister told me that she was uh willing to come on the podcast, I was like for real, <laughs> like <laughs> like things is things is getting real now. You know, I'm getting offers from real guests, and it it was a pleasure, man. So so thank you. Salute to you, man.
2: Well, people people let me say. Recognize, uh, and we have ever since we were kids here at home. People recognize the fact that your voice, you you have an ability to get people's attention, um, whether it be in a serious way or in an absolutely hilarious way. And uh, I knew whenever you started doing your podcast and started getting to this to this line of uh, entertainment and information. You know, that it was going to be something that could be impactful. So, I'm, I'm just honored that you have allowed
0: me to hop on with you for a little while. And uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man. So, uh, we're just going to get into it, man. So, what, what, what have you been up to lately, sir? You know, I know, but I want you to expunge. You say what?
2: I said, where should I start?
0: Hey, man, wherever you want to start, man. We got time. We got time today
2: um I'll just tell you in, in the elevator speech version um uh, I've been you know I've been working in politics ever since I left home home for both for you and I, and, and myself is obviously uh, in rural Otaca county uh, I call it the middle of nowhere um, in Alabama and, and really the middle of nowhere in the world in, in my opinion but, you know, yeah. once we all went our separate ways, we left home and flew the coup. I you know, I've been almost the last ten years in politics. I've worked for two members of Congress. Um, I've I got to drive in the presidential motorcade a couple of years ago with Michelle Obama.
0: Oh, the good um, president. Good president. Yeah. you know, done. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, you know if the opportunity if the opportunity had come uh, under the current White House, I would have without hesitation said absolutely no. Um, I would have said hell no actually um, but luckily i I never was was faced with the the, the the pressure of having to make that decision but you know I've been the last decade or so just working in politics I got my start uh, on the Obama print uh, on the Obama campaign in 2008 and you know I've literally just been working my way through the entire um, political apparatus of the country both on the local level and all the way up to the national level, and just really kind of understanding exactly how it works from the inside, and and, and wanting to take that understanding that I've gained
0: with these unique experiences in my career, and actually bring that back home uh, to use it in ways that are going to be um, legendarily impactful, if I can spit out some new words. Hey, Amen. wanting to do things... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we just want
2: to do things that are going to be, uh, you know, big and going to last a hundred years after
0: all of us are gone That's what's that's what it's about, man. Leaving a legacy, and uh, from what I from what I have heard, man, you're doing some really solid righteous things, man. And I salute you for that. Um, so how is it, you know, coming from where we come from, small town, middle of nowhere? But hey. To take it back to that, when we were there, though, it was Pratt-Vegas when we were there. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, Can't we was... We were part of a, a good run. Yeah, we was rocking and rolling, man. Um, shout out to Coach Clark. He up at uh, UAB doing his thing. But when we, when we were there, like, hey, Prattville was... We was rocking and rolling, man. And uh, But um, to come from where we come from, um, going from high school to your... To your, your second step Going to a HBCU Alabama State And How do you get from Alabama State To being on the staff of Two Congress Two Congress uh, Well two members of Congress and, and going forward How did you get there? Well I It's
2: kind of crazy And at the same time Not crazy um, When I was on campus uh, In college I actually was a nobody, a no-name, just one of those guys that, you know, literally just came to class on time, was their first person in the room, and, you know, the first person out the room, didn't socialize a lot, but around 2007, I saw that um, Obama won the Iowa caucus, Um, well, he announced in 2007, and then he won the Iowa caucus in January of 2008 and when he won uh, you know it came as a big surprise to a lot of people because you know nobody thought at that point that he was going to win they just figured oh he's, he's young he's nice looking he's brand new sounds good um, so he'll be entertaining but he's not going to um, have any type of substantial success he right. surprises everybody and wins it and you know At that point, I just kind of went 100 miles an hour, jumped head first into the political scene. I was already a political science major. Up until that point, it had been really boring in class. But when he wins in January of 2008, um, I decide with a couple of of my classmates at ASU to, to to. to raise up a college Democrats chapter on campus that had been dead for, you know, nobody could tell us uh, when it had been active prior to 2008. We knew it existed, but there was no trace of it. And uh, we hopped right in, grabbed it by the horns. We organized all across uh, central Alabama, um, all across our campus and a number of other campuses here in Alabama. And... You know we just went in and it just went hard in the paint every single day knocking on doors making phone calls putting yard signs out telling people on campus about what was going on um and it kind of made it easy because he was such a cool candidate uh, so you know it wasn't hard to sell people the only challenge that we had was just getting them engaged and getting them to do the work and volunteer and jumped in right there and from that uh, you know the success of his campaign went in the presidential in 2008 um, I got noticed and got seen by a lot of people in the Democratic Party across the state and um, you know after he wins you know people who were in the local politics scene you know I started getting contacted by people and tapping and people were tapping on the shoulder and you know saying hey like There's more work out here if you want it. If you're hungry, you can come get it and you can eat. And uh, that's how I got into my first member of Congress's office. Uh, I started there before I even had finished at Alabama State. And, um, you know, same thing. Jumped right in. Went hard in the paint for two years. Um, we lost in 2010. And I got picked up by my second member. And, you know, I will say that rest of it's really history there's a lot more to it but you know for the sake of not talking forever <laughs> um i'll break it up right there and just say that you know the main thing was was hopping onto that wave of excitement, with Obama in 2008 and that's kind of what lit the fire in me and that's what got um you know the, the, what they call the, the fire in the belly for me to, to get out there and get involved
0: yeah so i you know listen to you speak uh I picked up on you saying just, just the main thing is like you saw your opportunities, and you hopped on them. Like a lot of people, they don't recognize like they don't see opportunity. They they're saying like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that, and they they hop they walk right past the opportunity, or they they're offered the opportunity, and they don't they're they're afraid to leap. They never leap. And the opportunity passed them by. So I really I really hung on to you saying like I was offered this opportunity and I dove head first into it. And I think that's real important for people that, you know, they're out here trying to they're they're trying to do something. They want to do something, but they never do anything. And even for me, like this, this even doing this podcast thing, this is seven, seven years. It's been on my heart, you know, like, hey, you need to do this. You need to do that. Like people saying like, man, you're a funny guy. You love to talk. We'll be at work. They're like, you love to talk. You should you should do this. You should do that. This is before, like, everybody and their mama had a podcast. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should. And then you'll well, I need I need a laptop. I need a microphone. I need to do all this. And then you get discouraged because you're like, man, that that's money. But once I really did do it, once I jumped into it, I realized, like, Bro, it, it really doesn't take that much effort. It just takes taking the leap, you know. And absolutely, 100%. I hope I hope that people out here they can hang on to your words of how you just just took the opportunity. I I really respect that. So, um, Nico, can I um, can I can I
2: pop right in right there and just give you one quick nugget? Um, it's one word. It's just intentionality its just being intentional and like you said seeing the moment and then as you identify that it is a moment seizing the moment and just being intentional that's literally my whole story the last 10 years it's just every single time that something presented itself the whole point was
1: not to have the
2: answers and no like, how it was going to work out, what direction I was going, and how I was going to pay for it, and, and, you know, like, what I was going to wear, all those things, they're all in the periphery. The main thing is just, when it is right in front of you, the easiest and the hardest thing is just stepping forward, but, you know, that has kind of been a hallmark of, of this last decade for me, is just stepping forward into it, and... If you're willing to, to make that first step, then you'll find um, most of the uncertainty and the questions and the things that you don't have the answers for in the moment. All of that stuff just starts to come to you and all the stuff that ain't that's not supposed to be in the picture, it starts to fall away. You just got to step forward, though.
0: Right. So, you working for the two members of Congress, like, I know you were working with... Uh, with uh, Congress, Congresswoman Sewell So From working with her How did that lead you into Starting your own Your own program
2: Yeah um, Well When I came on with her in 2011 uh, And You know we went For that first couple of years We were focused almost completely On trying to help Our district get recovery from a major natural disaster. Um, We had a historic set of tornadoes that ripped up across literally about 12 counties, um, which was all but two counties of our congressional district and just ravaged all over the place. The inner city, uh, the rural areas of our district, tornadoes just tore everything apart. And you got to understand for context um, the district that we represented uh, was one of the most impoverished um, congressional districts in the United States of America. Um, we represent people in communities that were in are in third world conditions unemployment you know is in the teens in many of, of the counties and that's even right now currently while you have you know record low unemployment across the country these, places in the communities that we serve were still um, astronomically high and astronomically impoverished. So that first two years didn't see much of anything else but trying to help those people recover. Um, but then when Trayvon Martin's case when it occurred he was murdered and George Zimmerman got off uh, and then it set off that string of Police killings, um, namely the Mike Brown killing, when that occurred, and you started to see that um, you started to see that this was a real injustice. And then, to make it even worse, I started to see, as a student of history and politics, that the same things that we were protesting and mad about in, in 2013, 14, 15, Malcolm X and Dr. King were making speeches and were talking and fighting about the exact same subjects an entire generation ago.
0: Yeah. It's a uh, it's interesting that you say that um where you're talking about Dr. King and Malcolm X cuz his speech on on Jim Crow it, it it's it's gospel today cuz you have people right. Out here, vote. They're actually voting against their own best interests, only because, you know, it, it's like when he says, "When the white man couldn't put food on his table and clothes on his back, at least he can look around and say, at least I ain't a nigga.'" That's what if. Yeah. That's those are the those are the truths that are reverberating through our society today. So I just I just felt like it was real interesting that you. That you bring that up, that we're still fighting the same battles of our grandparents and our parents, you know, and nothing—it's nuts. Yeah, it's, it's well, it feels like the nineties, like those those Clinton years. They kind of had us bamboozled because it, it made us feel like we we turned a corner and things were getting better. You know, the country was in the surplus, everybody was was working and all this, and we thought that we were we were better but then you go through the right. the, the years of, of the disarray of George Bush and the desperation that came that people felt when Obama came because people mm. just people literally wanted change anything is better than what we had so exactly and you you know what i'm saying we're th- we're looking at it from like oh well we're getting a a a, a black president that made us feel like, or it looked as so we had made it. And it's crazy that we're right back in that, in the, the position of the 60s all over again. so.
2: Well, and the thing, that, the thing that I think is was so disruptive and so unnerving and for me terrifying at first and then um, just enraging after that was that I started to realize during this process that you know, so many of us thought that we had turned that corner, like you said, and you know, to find out that it really was an illusion and to find out that you know, in the hood, like, the same conditions that were there in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the boom or crack, the 90s, the 2000s, and now into the 2010s, The conditions really at their core, you can't really mark a lot of revolutionary level um, change. You can mark in certain pockets where, you know, this small area might have gotten a little bit better. The cars might have gotten a little bit better. You know, maybe the, the housing went from just straight up, you know, housing projects in the traditional sense to Section 8 housing that just looked like more neighborhood homes. But the economic um, disconnection and the economic weakness and the poverty, all those things, you know, they really remained as they were in the 60s underneath the surface. And I think that social media spurred on by these kind of killings just started to, to rip that veil away and remind everybody that, you know, black president or not, like, we still, the conditions are just as bad as it was when N.W.A. was out there, you know, kicking in the windows of music videos in the 90s.
0: Yeah, I, I really think that in regard to social media in our, our society, I feel as though, I don't think anything ever changed. I think social media just made the world smaller. So mm-hmm. it's it's like there's nothing you can do, and people not see it. You know, like if something happens, right. if something happens over here, people know about it simultaneously. It's like boom, it's it's out there. Mm-hmm. And I feel exactly. I feel like because everybody, it's like everybody is CNN. So if you see something messed right. up. It's like you're reporting on it right then and there. And it kinda gives you it kinda gives you the feeling like, oh my God, things are so bad. I don't think me personally, like when it comes to the police and the way people say, like, oh, um, police brutality and all this other stuff. I, I grew up I was always afraid of the police. Like right. when they would come to our school and they were like, Oh, the police are a friend, I would like whisper over, like, no, man, the police, oh. <laughs> You know, like I remember I remember being a teenager in Alabama, man, and this is actually after a football game. Uh, you remember Daryl, right? Mm-hmm. Me and him, like one night, we were riding and we were riding around in the country, and we got pulled over by a cop. And mm-hmm. he came up to the car. He was real aggressive until he like let the window down, and he looked in the window, and he noticed it was me and Daryl. It was one of the cops that used to do our, uh, you know, we used the to have. Yeah, they used to do our football game so he recognized us. Right. And after that, that's what changed his energy. But for me, right. There's really nothing that goes on in 2018 that I didn't feel in 1998. Like it I don't feel like there's really been any different. Donald Trump just galvanized people. People don't feel the need to hide it, but Exactly. Things have always been like this in my in and to me. So,
2: Exactly, I, I totally agree and, that, and that's the thing Is that, you know, it's finally The technology Has allowed all of us To get on the same page At the same time, instantly So that You know, now, and you see it all over Social media today Just post anything that has any type Of political or any type of You know, level of controversy To it um, And you read the comments under whatever the
0: topic might be and literally you see that
2: everybody is seeing their own reality but the film
0: don't lie yeah yeah people interpret it how they want to but the film don't lie yo that's really sick that i'm a sick person because i'll go to youtube or youtube or cnn or msnbc all these sites and i'll the first thing i do is go to the comments like, I love, like, I kind of, I kind of love the comments. I'm sitting there. It's like, it's like bad for my health because I'll get sick to my stomach reading it. But I can't not go to the comments. And I'm, like, reading stuff. And I'm like, bro, what are you watching? What are you reading? Like, to me, I, I always, like, because out here with the with the job that I have right now, I'm on an island. Um, I'm in the middle of the, the South Caribbean. There's really nothing to do out here, so at work we'll just be sitting around and we just talk, like we just talk and debate all day, right? And That'd you, g- nice, Nico. I mean, I mean, we work, but it's like, come on, man, like it's we have nine ten hour days. You nobody nobody's working ten straight hours, but anyway, that's beside the point. That's beside the point. I'm divulging too much of our information. I don't want the taxpayers to get (laughs) upset about what's going on with the military. But anyway, we sit around and we talk, man. And it's just amazing that you you'll see one article on CNN, right? Or you'll see one article on Fox News. And you can tell the person that only gets their information from one source. And I'm like, bro, what are you reading? Exactly. Like there was a woman. Use the
2: same set of words that you just read.
0: Right, but for me, people don't take the time to read read information from two different sources. See see what lines up because you can see the slant, but people choose to live with the slant because I guess is ignorance is bliss. That's what people love, man. And well, people, people believe what they want to believe, and what you find now. in that age of 24-hour cable news, in the age of, you know, social media, and in the age of
2: quote-unquote fake news, not only do people believe what they want to believe, they actually go and seek out the information from sources that they anticipate are going to tell it in the way that they want it to be told.
0: Right. They're not
2: even looking for the facts anymore. They're looking for... Whoever they believe is going to, to articulate and interpret information, you know, in a way that meets their comfort and their own set of beliefs. So, you know,
0: and that's what's so dangerous about the info, like the amount of information that we have, that people choose to go that route. But to get to get back to get back on get back on track, get back from track. So, he's working for Congresswoman Sewell now. We got you gave me you gave me the the rundown on that. What I'm interested in, you out here getting your homegrown local LeBron James on, because you're offering with the Alabama Edge program the STEM for STEM programs for kids. And when I seen that man, um, that was really that was really interesting to me. Actually, my cousins, you actually had my little cousins in your class, and I was like looking at the the video on YouTube, and I was like. Right. That's Braylon little badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, anything that keeps that little boy busy, I'm all for it, man. I was like, where can I donate? <laughs> yeah, like, he, um, He's got a lot of energy, but that's good. And the thing is, like, what we're trying to do is we are trying to be, like I said, you hear me say it until
2: I get blue in the face. if yeah, That's possible. But intentionality and being intentional, and it's finding ways that, actually on the front end um, help young people to channel energy uh, help them and those around us the village around them to try to not only channel the energy but also to help everybody in this equation identify where the talents and their gifts are and in doing that uh being intentional once again and pointing them towards and putting them in the types of experiences and the types of activities and the types of consistent uh, practice and whatever those talents might have been and whatever those interests are because what you look at when you see people who are extremely successful uh, at the very top echelon you see a common thread is that Most of them have been doing what they were doing from a young age, and they've been doing it consistently, really their entire lives. If you look at Olympic, you know, champion athletes, if you look at some of the greats in sports, entertainment, think about the Jackson 5, you know, Michael, um, at the point when he did the moonwalk,
0: that was the product of literally an entire lifetime. Of ass whooping. Drilled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) important <laughs> but, um, but in addition to the um, he was being drilled
2: in practice of those dance moves like to the point where it hurt yeah. if you look at the same thing with uh, you know like these Olympic athletes if you look at the same thing you can look at kids in your neighborhood now who, you know they're they're barely walking or running and they're already set up with a travel team for baseball Basketball, AAU, they're going to be playing the game literally every waking moment they're not eating, sleeping, or in school. And all that we're saying with Alabama Edge and with our other programs is what if we took that same level of intentionality and intensity, but we applied it to something in addition to sports or entertainment? So there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I want to be Beyonce. I want to be LeBron James on the court, but what if we took that same level of energy and for the ninety-nine percent of young men and women who are not going to make it um, to LeBron James level athletic talent? What if we took that same energy and put that type of you know focus into whatever the talent was, whether it was you know selling things, whether it was You know, coding and putting computer and software programs together, whether it was building bridges and designing, you know, logistical stuff. That's all that we're trying to do. And if we can get them, you know, at an early age, you know, already interested and craving those opportunities, then you're going to have some of the same exact results as what you would if they were a prodigy in sports or entertainment.
0: And I love that because I feel like in our community, we have more, more than enough entertainers. We have more, we have more than enough athletes. So, I feel like with, you know, the tech age out in Silicon Valley, that's where we need, that's where we need people. We need people, like... I feel our people, we have a lot of people that go into being in in education, so we have teachers and whatever, but I don't think we have enough black engineers, I don't think we have enough black coders or graphic designers, and I I really appreciate you pouring into these kids at the level where they're the most formidable, you know, like, where they... Where they they're full their their hard drives are are ready for the information to be downloaded. They have so much room exactly. for this knowledge. Exactly. But they're also already displaying talent level of levels of talent. They're so it's like you're meeting them at their level, at the most optimal level, you know? Because like I said, Definitely. speaking about my little cousin Braylon, that little kid, man, I remember he was three years old this kid would have full-on conversations with me like on the phone i'm like talking to him like he's a grown man he's three you know so it's like he has the capacity but you know in in our community you know like the education the level of education isn't there uh for for the most part not speaking on him but just just in general so having someone that has been there, has seen things, has gone on, gained knowledge, and to bring that back and pour into the community, man, that is invaluable. Because I I feel like a lot of us we don't do that enough. Like we got people go out and make millions and they can't wait to run off into the hills, you know, or right, right. you know get their their big their big house and their mansion. So for you to be in Ground Zero with boots on the ground giving yourself to these people, to these children, like, that's amazing to me, man. I salute you for that.
2: Well, thank you. And, and let me say this. It's personal for me. The reason why it's personal, number one, is because growing up where we grew up, um, in rural American, the Old South, you know, where you know there's a 100-foot Confederate flag uh, just two miles away from, from where you and I were catching the school bus, um, you know, we, we have the ability if, if we are taught the rules of the game and if we're exposed to the same things that other communities are exposed to, we've proven it in every single facet across American history that when we're given not only equality, but also equity. um. Eventually, we dominate. If you don't believe me and you don't think, if you need some scientific facts and evidence to back that up, I'll just name it like this. Tiger, Venus, Serena, Michael, LeBron, the guy who's with with Devil. I mean, you name it. In every single whether it's sports, entertainment, tech, business, everywhere. Every time we have had the opportunity to learn the rules of the game, we've had the opportunity to practice it, develop the skills, and then we've had the opportunity to go out there and compete. Yeah. All it takes is a matter of time, and it's almost inevitable. We eventually will rise to the very top Just. And that's why we're trying to create is... Yeah, just trying
0: to create that. Right. I mean, just in the sense of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, man, Oklahoma. Exactly. Like, exactly. you can't, you can't even think about the level of education that those people had, but when they had an opportunity to flourish on their own, the things that they were able to achieve, and that's why we're in the position that we're in now, because mm-hmm. that scares people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like. And, but at the same time, it's disheartening because it's like you don't even want to compete. Not that we, it's not we're not asking for to be treated better. Be we don't want to rule the world. We just want to compete on a level playing. And you don't even want to compete, you know. So, with the with the speaking of that, with the you know the elections coming up in November. How do, you, how do you see things going? Well, I think it's going to be a mixed bag. Uh, you know,
2: there's a lot of hope on the Democratic side that, um, you know, Democrats will take back the U.S. House, uh, and I think there's probably a decent chance that that can happen. I think the Senate, the U.S. Senate, is probably a little bit of a, a, a higher mountain to climb, uh, i not sure if I would go as far as to say that I think that that's likely, it's possible, there's potential for it, but I just don't see it realistically um, happening, at least as it is today. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, the bottom line is that, you know, you're going to have to, uh, I don't care what's going to say. people always talk about, you know, swing voter, talk about, people, you know, this mythical Middle class, working class white voter who lives in the suburbs. Uh, You know, the the man drives a pickup truck, um, works in a some type of factory or some type of uh, mid to to heavy labor industry. The wife, you know, she um, does something between soccer mom and um, some type of. uh, you know, some type of clerical administrative or or other, you know, high white-collar skill job. And, you know, everybody says that that's the main voter who is likely to shift their allegiance depending on what the election is. And I think that, you know, that has proven time and time again, in my opinion, to be a mistake, especially... Uh, amongst the, the, the Democrats because they keep leaving behind uh, a, a population the a black population who is never a swing vote. They're reliably going to vote Democratic if you just can engage them and give them something to get them motivated and, and get them uh, out to the polls. I think that, you know, the problem that, you know, folks who are um, on the left and in the progressive or, you know, the moderate progressive wing, I think that the problem that they have in this election, as well as they've had, you know, for decades now, is that, you know, you want to cheapen it to just, oh, all we got to do is a week out or two weeks out, let's just start sending Jay-Z and Beyonce out there, you know, get
0: the black folks to come and vote yeah yeah
2: that's all we gotta do you know let's have an event with lebron and you know
0: and that's that's what that's what killed him that's what killed him last time like it's got like it goes and it goes back to social media and the the information age people are Mm -hmm. people are more informed you can't you can't blind us with brilliance or baffle us with bullshit anymore because the numbers and the the history doesn't lie and like they like to say that the the technology that we have in the palm of our hands was used to put the man on the moon which is amazing to think about it but at the same time you're telling people this yet you're trying to sell them a bag of goods and it's not gonna work so it's like people are like you gotta earn my vote and I feel like Democrats are in a precarious situation because, like, these kids that are growing up in this active shooter age that are terrified to go to school or not even that, you got people that are, you know, identifying with their sexual orientation, their their gender, you have all these people that on this radical left that right. are now are going to be the people in the voting booth yet you're trying to sell us these bill Clinton Democrats that, Oh, because Jay Z came to this concert or Jay Z told me to vote for you. And it's not that's that's dead. And I don't see, I don't see enough of change in the democratic party to combat what 45 has at his back. Cause you know? It's, it, yeah, I, I agree. It, it's almost, it's insulting in some cases
2: because, you know, you can almost uh, liken that to, you know, watermelon and fish fries. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, for what it's worth, that's kind of what you're, that's the message that you're sending subliminally is that, you know, and I learned this, you know, in political science
0: they they termed it they called you know the african-americans uh, a captured vote meaning that you know really we got it in the bag we weren't
2: yeah we weren't significant beyond you know our our, our turnout volume the only thing that mattered amongst us was how many of us could you get to come out and vote because that's the only way that we could be um, impactful and decisive in elections. But I think that, you know, on the same token, for our community, I think that we need to be a lot more and I'm going to say it again, intentional. We need to be a lot more intentional and we need to be a lot more uh, uh, delicate isn't the word, but we need to be a lot more deliberate uh, with our vote and with our voting power. Now we're not, you know, I don't consider us to be, you know, just one homeogen- genius mind, and we're just all of us think the exact same. That's not true. Um, but I think that you know
1: our voting behavior needs to evolve. It does, so
2: that we're not just being looked at and defined as, "Oh, you're black, you're a Democrat." And it's not that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not the other thing. <laughs> to
0: be clear about that. <laughs> but, right <laughs> Um, but. But I think
2: that We need to demand A lot more In a much higher price um, For our support The same as other communities do And right. I think until We start to demonstrate That we um, it, That we're about that life You know We're gonna keep on getting You're gonna Treated get... You know Like the The side chick
0: Exactly And you know at, In a way Like when it goes back to You know Candace Owens And and Kanye and all like, I don't agree with their message. But the idea of that, because I'm black, that doesn't mean I'm a I, I'm automatically a Democrat. You know, I don't think exactly. I don't think any rational human being should be all the way left or all the way right. Because
2: exactly.
0: you can't possibly agree with everything somebody says. Like, exactly. that's just if you do, that's blind loyalty and you're an idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty much. I feel like it goes back to how I was saying, I read Fox News, I read CNN, I read h and I read Al Jazeera, you know what I'm saying? I want to be informed. I want to make the best decision that I can. So, these people that think one way, like, that's dangerous. And people gave me a lot of flack because I was like, in a way, I can agree with some of the things that he said. Con- Speaking of Kanye, like, just having an evolved mindset. The other shit that he was talking about, right. like I didn't agree with that. But just saying that my I can elevate and evolve my train of thinking and what I agree with, I think that's very important for people to do that. Because...
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: You know, it just voting straight Democrat because that's what you are. I feel like for my future daughters, Hillary Clinton would have been a disservice to them to be their first female president you know right, right. so I hear you. but i don't like to beat my my political drum like that you know but <laughs> i got you we since we were getting into those waters but i mean we've been we've been going we've been going for a minute i know you got a busy schedule so i'm, I'm gonna let you get out of here but um with you being an alabama boy and growing up playing football what? How do you think the boys gonna do this year, man? So you mean Prattville High
2: School?
0: Oh no 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 no! They they trash <laughs> they trash now. I was talking about I was talking about I was talking about Alabama, but if Prattville got something new on the on the horizon for, for... well, let me say, um, you know,
2: they and first of all, you know, the coach that they had, um, you know, he coached us.
0: When we were ninth through tenth grade, we had a little uh, short dude. No, no, no. Chad Anderson, big guy, was an offensive
2: lineman at Prattville um, when he played and then um, was the ninth grade coach for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, but, you know, he had it for the last couple of years. and He did take them to the state title game, I think, in his first year as head coach, but from there, they completely just took a nosedive and crashed and burned the last couple of years. Um, I know he had a lot of things that he was going through um on the individual and the personal level. Um, you know, he, he had a lot of losses in his family over the last couple of years and so on and so forth. And you know, what happens when dynasties start to fall, and it's not just football, it's you know, the yeah. same thing happened when, when Alexander the Great died, like, you know, Greece split in four. Right. Um, but you know, I think a lot happened um both on and off the field and, attributed to, you know, the crash and burn that occurred. But this new guy, Caleb Ross, he's another guy who played at Prattville and attended there as a a student and went on and played in college. He went on and coached uh, at some of the most prominent and winning programs across the state of Alabama the last couple of years, Um, won a couple state championships, and now he's come back. And he, you know, the the theme here in Prattville now is Restore the Roar. And uh, I feel like he's doing it. You know? I see the attitude, the body language of the guys. You know, they look good. That you can, see, you can see how they move. Like they're moving good. And and I'm excited about what they're going to get accomplished. I don't know if they're going to win a state title in year one, but I'm very optimistic about uh, you know what he's going to be able to to do as far as changing the attitudes and getting them back to that winning culture that you and I. Really, quite frankly, we built. Um,
0: yeah. Because it wasn't a winning culture before we got there. Um, and then,
2: uh, up on the other level, real football, uh, <laughs> uh, Alabama, I think Alabama's poised the, to their right in contention to win it again, quite frankly. You know, I mean, who's going to stop them?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I think Ohio State is in disarray. So, I feel like for me <sighs> – the only comp- the only competitors that Nick has is Dabo Dabo, I mean not Dabo, uh, yeah Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, yeah yeah, cause you know he won and then Urban Meyer man so Urban being in disarray and Clemson having to reboot at quarterback, um because I I actually that dude Kelly Bryant I I don't think he's gonna get it done cause yeah. he doesn't have that he doesn't have that threat to. Like he can pass the ball, but he's almost like Jalen in a way.
2: Yeah, he's not a Deshaun Watson. That's for
0: sure. Yeah. Speaking of Jalen, so with with the QB situation,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> how do how do you feel about how Nick has handled that?
2: Um, I am going to give Nick Saban credit. I think that he has. I think he has stayed true to his character in the situation um been extremely tight-lipped he's been I think he's handled it in the public eye strictly according to the talking points that they you know (laughs) pre-wrote um and I think he's playing chess he's playing chess I think he's three moves ahead of everybody both quarterbacks the media and the fans quite frankly um I think that if I were him I think that the moves or the, the goal would be to have a national championship winning quarterback on the field who if God forbid
0: went down would have a 26 and 2 all time <laughs> <laughs> you know Heisman Trophy candidate backing him up and ready to take the very next uh, snap if he goes down. So Oscar Barry Third is saying Tua I can't even pronounce his last name. I, I'm not even going to try. Tunga, Valoa, or whatever. Is the starter. He's going to start. Uh, you
2: know I want to say that that's a yes but I just heard according to the reports from yesterday Jalen was really competitive in this second scrimmage on yesterday. And um you know, I mean Sabin is in a win-win position. And, you know, you know, it's kinda like if Jalen walks, he's got a national championship winner. Yeah. He's a gunslinger, high risk, but he got it done. And if Jalen stays, then he's got true national championship contenders.
0: Because I feel like Jalen is being discredited. I I felt after his freshman year, it was my hope that he would be a lot better as a passer than what he is. Right. But when you look right. at him in a vacuum, this man is twenty six and two in his career. He is one miraculous Deshaun Watson drive away from being the first freshman. National yeah. championship winning quarterback,
2: exactly. And a defensive
0: stop; it wasn't even his fault. Yeah, I mean, like, it, I mean, well, if the if the offense was any kind of a threat, the defense was on the field for a long time in that championship game, and you know, you know, eventually you break. And I feel like that's what happened. They even, they played a lot, but
2: even even a pick play in the end zone. Yeah. You know,
0: can't be. I feel like the first the first pick play was worse than the second one though. The first the True, first but the first pick they ran that was egregious.
2: Yeah. But you know what I thought of at the end of the game in that one I thought Ohio State in Miami back in like 2000 2001 and you know that pass interference call was a difference between you know Miami being a dynasty and Ohio State getting back to the top of the mountain. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like players gonna make plays, and all. At the end of the day, can be the definition of of a, a, a full
0: ball game. No, 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 no. I beg the different. I beg the different, my friend, because uh, okay. in in tenth grade, my tenth grade year, if they don't call that punt return back uh, on Pookie. We would have won the national champ we would have won the state championship, bro. You're right. We were one of the best teams. We were one of the best teams in the country that year.
2: Yeah. I, I gotta get you that. I gotta give you that. I can see that point. One hundred
0: percent because you're absolutely right. And that one still hurt. Yeah. It still hey, I remember I remember so. being in the car on the ride home. My little cousin was in the back seat. You you remember the twins, right? Yes. Yeah. They were in the back seat in the car seat, and I remember like just laying in my little cousin' lap, crying all the way home, bro. That shit hurt. <laughs> that hurt, man. So one call can one call can define you, man. I think you're absolutely right about that. I have to. I got to
2: backtrack. So you know, with that being said, though, I think that um, you know, it's business at the end of the day. Yeah. So I feel like Nick Saban is going to do absolutely what he believes is truly the best interest of the team. And I think that he has um, an excellent ability to really emotionally detach himself from decision-making and truly just get down to the bottom line. What's going to be the winning combination or the winning set of decisions? Um, And he has the ability to, you know, like he said all the time, play the next play. Meaning that, you know, Jalen popped off and said what he said in the media a while back. And, you know, he may or may not remain and and be a part of whatever's going to happen, you know, this season and going forward. Um, But I, quite frankly, think that Saban is just like, yo, if you're here, I'm going to be glad to have you here. You know, you're going to get you know,
0: the best of what we had to
2: offer. And, we, and we're going to
0: use you to the best of, you know, what we can. But if you're not here, the show going on. Yeah. One blank. Yeah. Uh, but my thing is, I felt that Jalen was, he was owed that a most, that, that frustration. Because I felt, Absolutely. I felt like in the national championship game when he got pulled, he handled that. To be nineteen to handle that like that? Amazing, bro. Like a
2: champ.
0: Like yeah. the world was handed to him at eighteen. You snatch it away at nineteen, and he handles that like a man, bro. And he he still he still like big up to him. He was there for him. Like he he was he's been classy. And for him to handle it to blow up in that he didn't even really blow up. Like he was just frustrated. You can just tell it. And I feel like he did. You say what?
2: No, I was agreeing with you. He uh, didn't blow up the way he could
0: have. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like he was owed that. And moving forward, I feel like he's going to play it out, graduate, and then go on and play his last year somewhere. But my thing about that is, like, what if he goes to one of these schools that are quarterback away? You know? Do we see him again? You might. Yeah. <laughs> In- you know that,
2: but the thing is, like, that's what you call high stakes, and it's high risk, high reward, high risk. So, you know, if if that, that plays out, you know, at the end of the day, it just means more money for the people who are already making money off of it. Yeah, true. <laughs> Which, saving, I think, I think saving probably can fit in that category in a number of different slots. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, I don't think at the end of the day. And anybody uh who who is truly on the inside of that dynamic um it's a win-win for everybody
0: I really believe that yeah I, I can agree with that man um I just I just hate it because I, I expected more from him man you know i i thought I thought like he was really gonna do his thing and I, I feel like he has but that that championship, it was just kind of disheartening for me, man. But that's no, that's well, that's neither here nor there.
2: He, he just, I, I feel like the guy, looking at it now, you might be able to say that he played, you know, out of himself and, and out of his mind um, in some of the moments when we saw those flashes of greatness. And what you saw in the national championship was it might've been more, uh, it might've been a truer picture of, of him, you know, in that role as quarterback
0: with all of that pressure on top of you. And you are the guy. Right? No, but um, last year, he per- the year before he performed though.
2: That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm so just for example, you know, the year before, um, when he has the game winning drive and the, the run, uh, to beat LSU. Um, and I can't call all those different moments, but, you know, he had a number of those different flashes, uh, especially in year one, Um, and some in year two as well. But I'm, I'm arguing that I think some of those might have been kind of the extraordinary moments that might have been, you know, just once in a lifetime for him. I'm not so sure those were his norm. Whereas uh, Deshaun Watson, though, I think that his... The way that you saw him perform in the national championship, both the win and the loss, you know, his highest level, I think that's a lot more sustainable, or was a lot more sustainable for him than it was for
0: Jalen. Well, you got to think about it. Jalen, his foundation, he was thrust into the limelight at 18, right? Fresh out of high school. Right. And he's right. playing for his fourth offensive coordinator. And Indeed. so... I don't, I don't know the intricacies of uh, of Deshaun Watson's time at Clemson, but I know he ain't played for four offensive coordinators in his time there. So, Very true. like, his foundation, I, I feel like you can liken his journey to Michael Vick's in Atlanta. Like, Michael Vick had a high turnover with offensive coordinators, head coaches. Right. And the only thing he could rely on is his God-given ability. And I feel like that's the the precarious situation that Jalen was thrusted in at a very early age. And it's a high turnover rate at Alabama, there's no excuses. So people um I don't know if they fail to realize it, but it's not it's not as part as much of the narrative as it should be that this kid started playing at 18 and he's playing for his fourth offensive coordinator heading into his junior year. And you know, your junior year is where like the cream rises to the top. Like there are great players that that explode their freshman sophomore year, but if you play as a freshman and, a, and a, soft, a sophomore as a junior, that's where you really make your money. And this dude is playing for his fourth offensive coordinator, man. So Right. Right. Yeah. That's facts. But So we've been going on for about an hour, man. So I ain't going to hold you much longer. I just want to ask you <laughs> I just want to ask you uh, the vision that you have going forward for your program and for Alabama and the the way that those tie together. Sure.
2: Um, so for, for for our program with, with Alabama Edge and with what we call X Academy, which is our specific program for student athletes, uh, with both of those, what I envision is... To develop young men who have the winning formula that they can translate from sports to academics to career to family to community and everything else that all of those different areas entail. If we can get them to operate, um, you know, by what we call the three C's program, the three C's being Um, consistent character uh, competitive drive and then very intentional choices if we can get them to let that be their culture uh, through Alabama Edge and through X Academy and our other programming I think that you know we're going to see the results they're going to see the results first in how they perform in their most immediate responsibilities whether it be on the field Competition, or whether it be in the classroom, or whether it be in careers, but then our communities are going to benefit even more from that as they grow and develop. Because if that's their culture, um, they're going to apply that to how they raise families. And they're going to apply that to how they take ownership and leadership in their communities. That's You know, those are the types of things that you know. That's the type of stuff that that doesn't get solved by voting doesn't get solved you know with politicians no it takes men um of character and of depth you know who have a sense of duty and we're just trying to be the first step in instilling that at a young age before they get impressed and influenced and you know swayed and, and driven in the wrong direction which is a lot more easy than what we're trying to do Right. Um so that's the vision, you know, with, with, with our programs. Um and to add, to answer the second part of that question about where I see Alabama, I think that's the key. because um, if we can get that right on the individual level, and then we can scale that so that, you know, it's tens and then it's teams of young men who are on that type of culture and then it's communities of young men who are on that type of culture. And then, you know, You've got guys from all corners of the state of Alabama, from the dirt roads and from the inner cities. You got them from the suburbs and you got them from, you know, the business areas in the in the affluent as well as the the less affluent. If we can get those types of cultures to be widespread and scalable, um, so that whether you're black, white, rich, poor, Muslim, Christian, other, whatever you come, wherever you come from we get them talking that same language like that and all having that common sense of duty like that's what's ultimately going
0: to get this state to where it needs to be hands down period hey, man, i agree man um like i can't i can't reiterate how uh, enough like how important your mission is and how much i'm standing behind you man i appreciate i appreciate what you're doing man um this starts at the grassroots and that's where you really affect change and and make a difference and like we need that man it's kind of crazy how it how it kind of comes from because i was when i was i heard about it you know it always starts with like that john the baptist you know like the messenger and i feel like for us growing up like, Lowe was kind of that guy. Like, he would go yeah. pick us up, take drop us yeah. off. Like, I didn't – like, if I would have listened to Lowe and Coach Walker when they were trying to get through to me when I was a 16, 17-year-old knucklehead, like, I would be so much better than what I am now. But that's beside the point. But those people were in place. And I feel like, man, you're just picking up that baton – Using those resources that you've gained over your 10 years and connections. And, I right, man, I really appreciate appreciate your mission, man. And, um, like I said, I looked on the site. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh,
2: I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to, to throw in there as well. Um, I wanted to give you some credit on that same tip because, um, you know, I think that you are a, an awesome example of what we are trying to model and the thing is it's not that you're not going to make mistakes that's a part of life and that's okay but I think that coming out of the backgrounds that we came out of I think that you set a phenomenal example of how to get the most out of what you had and then make that multiply you know Jesus talks about two fish and five loaves of bread seeding you know, the multitudes, you know, that's not just a metaphor for feeding hungry. The metaphor is literally taking what you have and being able to figure out ways to maximize that and then to not just maximize it, but make it grow and multiply in a way that benefits other people. And I think that you've done that. And even with this podcast, you know, this is just the, the latest, um, you know, of, of many examples from yourself, but those are the types of things that, that that we need to be so much more intentional about. Um, and it's young men, not just me, but you and every other guy that you know is out here, young in the game, hungry, grinding, getting it, but doing it in a way that's honorable, and ultimately in a way that they're intentionally trying to look out for other people who come up behind. And I think if everybody gets on that type of spirit, like that, that's what is going to create the real change. That that's that's what that's the bread and butter. It's being intentional about you know. It's not just me going to get mine, but while I'm getting mine, I'm literally laying the tracks down for somebody else to ride easier over the stuff that I've had to dig out.
0: And no doubt, it. no doubt, and I I can't agree with you more. So we are one hour and seven minutes in oscar berry the third ladies and gentlemen i appreciate you coming on the podcast man dropping your knowledge man and i wish you nothing but the best man and if you ever need anything from me you can always reach out to me and i'll help in any capacity i can and i just want to thank you for coming on man sharing your time with me and if you have anything that you want to plug right now you can do that right now man
2: Appreciate that, brother. And, uh, and, you know, the same is the feelings 100% mutual here. Uh, only thing I'll say as far as a plug, um, I'll encourage all your listeners to please visit Alabama Edge on Facebook. Um, we've also got our website, www.alabamaedge.org. Uh, of course, you also can look me up on Facebook. And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and all the other stuff, Snapchat, and all the other techie stuff. But my main bread and butter uh, is is from Facebook, so it's just Oscar Berry the uh, third. Feel free to hit me up anytime. Love to talk to you. Love to hear from you. And uh, thanks again for the opportunity.
0: Oscar Berry the third, ladies and gentlemen, niggas. So last weekend we were gifted with the return of Issa molly and the rest of the crew on hbo's insecure and so i watched season three episode one and to say i was disappointed would be kind of a understatement um for me man i'm just ready for Issa to win at least a small victory some type of small victory i just i feel like her character just meanders a little bit to me like at one point she unpacks her baggage with Lawrence she moves out of the place that they shared together and you're thinking okay she's moving into a different phase in life but then at the same time she chooses to go live with the nigga that she lost her last nigga over I mean I ain't say she lost Lawrence but because there were other underlying issues with their relationship that needed to be fixed or whatever with him being depressed and unemployed I get why she felt the need. Or why she cheated on him, I guess. If that makes sense. Like, I, I can get it. Like, you feel like you're carrying a weight. Whatever. What happened with Daniel happened. But, anyway. So, you go through season two. And she's sleeping with him on and off. And, but she... It just looks at... It, it looks like, why go here? When, to me, this situation is really no better than the situation you left. But, anyway... So she's staying with Daniel, sleeping on his couch, and it's it's just it's just another situation to where I feel like Issa puts her character in a position to, to get beat up on, and yet we cheer for her, and it's almost like the the Bambino cursed Cubs, like I mean the Bambino cursed Red Sox. It's like you just it's like they just those fans love to be disappointed and. That's the feeling that I get watching this show. It's like these people just continuously make ridiculous choices. Like Issa going to, going to live with Daniel. He's shitting on her. He's not emotionally mature to get his shit off, to, to talk to her, to, to communicate. And then she's a doormat and is willing to get beat up until, oh, yeah, let's have some type of conversation. That really doesn't go anywhere and at the same and then at on the on the on another note you got molly where she's in a relationship with a nigga that's in a marriage that she knew was married and she's upset that he's married and it's like you continue to doing the same thing knowing that nothing is going to change and she's mad at this nigga for being the nigga she told him He told her he was. It's like, you get mad at a tiger for being a tiger. It's like, I told you I'm married. Me and my wife, we do what we want. You want this dick or no. You take the dick, thinking that it's just going to be dick, and you you end up emotionally attached in a situation where you know that nothing can come of it. And I'm sitting here like, how is this shit good? I mean, it is, but I'm like, is this... Is this lazy writing or, or are these niggas Jedi mind tricking us into giving us something amazing? I I, I don't know. I, I felt so indifferent to the episode. I'm like, ain't this the same shit that was happening last season? And I guess it's the, the, the chemistry between the characters and the good music that they put in the... With the aesthetic of Los Angeles that just makes me want to tune in. Because I'm not getting... W- where this shit is going maybe somebody can help me understand this man because i'm confused it's like are they setting this up for her and daniel to be together i I don't understand like what the history or the the point of re-exploring this dead-ass relationship because He's clearly a LA producer fuckboy. I mean, he's fucking hoes while she's in the apartment. So that's that's like the ultimate sign of disrespect. And she's willing to lay on the couch while he does this and you're waiting around for him to decide what? And people celebrate this shit. I I don't I don't understand it. I don't get it. But Hopefully they dig. Hopefully they dig deeper and explore and fucking fix this convoluted mess that is these people's emotional lives, because they starting to get like power with me, man. Power. That's a totally different story. I, season five has got too much shit going on, and I'm starting to lose interest. And if season three of Insecure is anything like this, man, uh, I'm gonna hit the egress button and I'm ejecting, man. I, I, I can't. I can't do this. But Hopefully, season three, exp- season three, explores more and fix this shit. Come on, Issa. I'm praying. I'm, I'm like Tiger Banks. We're all rooting for you. We're all rooting for you because this shit, episode one didn't make any sense to me. And please don't get in a relationship with this Nathan nigga because I mean, it looks like it's being set up to maybe, it might, at least go on a date. That's dead, sis. Like, nah. Nah. Fix 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 your career. Get an apartment. Don't worry about love. I don't want to see Isa in no relationships. I want Issa to fix being an emotional doormat. That's what I want to see her do. She gets bulldozed at work. She gets bulldozed in her relationships. I want season three. I want Issa to form a backbone. Cause I get it that at her job she was trying to get you know work with the kids the principal was a racist and all this shit I get that um that was a bad decision but at the same time she's way more valuable to that company than her beta me- beta female ass white counterpart that got promoted so I want to see I want to see that I want to see Issa take control of her professional Professional life, I want to see Issa win. I want to see her have her own. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see no, I, I don't care about her and Daniel because I feel like that's dead. Man, Daniel doesn't respect her, he doesn't cherish the history that they do have the way that she does. And for them to meander through this relationship to end up together, I feel like that does a disservice to. Two black women out there And it, it sets a bad precedent For our women Daniel don't deserve you Daniel don't deserve no pussy Yeah he let you sleep on his couch But he offered you a couch Y'all got history Y'all supposed to be friends But he tagging other chicks While you in the crib like that He doesn't respect you enough To let, tell you you can come home He playing games That's boy shit Niggas that do boy shit Don't deserve pussy So I don't want to see it I don't want to see him and Issa together because I feel like she deserves better than this that's just me maybe somebody can help me unpack unpack my thoughts of this because I'm really not getting it and to me I'm kind of losing interest if it goes this predictable ass route but anyway that's my some that's my summation on season one uh, season three episode one of insecure man y'all tell me, y'all let me know how y'all feel about that man
1: oh thank you I do do do